All right. What's up, everybody? Doing things a little differently. And once again, live streaming our episode for the week. With the return of Beth Martins, I think if you've been around for at least a month or two on Interverse, then you know about Beth. And we are having so much synergy together lately. It's unreal. All kinds of great connections and matchmaking happening through our networks uh, colliding. And we've got a really fun conversation for everybody today, which we'll get into in a bit. It's going to revolve around the, oops, I hit the wrong button. I cursed myself and I said I would do that. And then I did. But here's the uh, title slide. psychology of law and we'll give it a minute to breathe say hi to the chat rose is in here and fred what's up you guys and hello beth hello chance i'm so happy to be here with you thank you so much for hosting me yeah me too i'm so excited i practically got the jitters this isn't my normal format but it's also really fun because we get to talk to the chat at the same time and and i get to cut out the production process post production by just doing the whole video live mixed. So trying to upgrade my skill set here, and it seems to be working. And before we start, I wanted to uh, just mention that you're also going to be on Unslaved tomorrow, which will come out probably Monday or Tuesday. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I'm pretty excited. Thank you very much for that introduction, Chance. Uh, Unslaved has been on my radar for a long time. I've interviewed David Whitehead, and I know that Michael Tessarian is a a legend, and the the volume of work that he's put out uh, is phenomenal. If anybody hasn't seen your interview, your recent one with him, it's like, wow, a jaw dropper. That one, I just, I was literally almost, you know, salivating going, oh my God, there's somebody who gets it and can articulate uh, his ideas so much better. So, we're definitely going to be talking about the the whole concept of mysteria and archetypes and and how to how to actually deprogram this stuff because it's it's one thing to know about it and it's another to be able to actually go in and make changes to the inner landscape and come out of it uh, uh, closer to freedom and with feeling free and acting free. So I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, we're we're recording on Sunday, and then I'm not sure exactly when they when they run them, but. Uh, I highly recommend <laughs> going over there. Yeah, me too. There's some good stuff there. Some of my favorite guest appearances of my career are on that channel as well. It is a premium type of setup. I think they've got the right idea. They just don't even put their stuff out unless people will support. And, you know, that's like strong boundaries right there. That's kind of kingly, if you ask me, to just be so sure of the quality of what you're doing and trust that it's the right way to put it out there and not even participate on the goo tube like I am right now, but it's working for me. <laughs> but let's show them absolutely where they can find your stuff. Tell them about this book and uh, your channel. Oh, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I wrote this book just five minutes before the pandemic hit. It was published. I might not have been able to finish it in the last year, given all the chaos. And uh, I was on my way to Anarchapulco, and I was already writing the book for a year, but then we started to rush it just so I could get it out at Anarchapulco. Uh, and it's been a really beautiful experience because the, you know, when I was I was being mentored a little bit to to write this book, and and the guy was saying, well, this, you know, you might not have a hit the first time; it might be an ugly baby. And I'm like, wait a minute, I ain't have, having no ugly baby. <laughs> ain't gonna happen. So. Uh, we worked on it really a lot. It, it's based on my own personal experiences of having had cancer, uh, nearly dying, coming out of it working by working with archetypes after all was lost. I literally had tried everything, did everything I possibly could. And it wasn't until I, I found the code and the keys inside myself of what was tying up all of my life energy that I was able to go from being that dying person to a living person in uh, in really no time at all. There was still a long recovery just to get over all of the drugs and therapies and crap that I'd been through, but uh, but I was living by that point. And, uh, and then so it took me 20 years to do it, but I wrote that book. All of that story and many other stories are in there to teach about how the archetypes of the hero's journey have a, a very natural... Um, progression. Strangely, like everything that you can find, uh, for me, it's, it's, I'll, I'll restate that, like, I have to be able to find this inside myself. I'm not good with ideas. They don't stick. Right. It's kind of like what Michael Tessarian talks about, mysteria. That's, uh, I mean, I have very limited 
uh, taste for that. I want to see it actually working in real life in real time. And that's what the the book essentially is about, how to, how to find inside yourself what nature is already favoring to be able to go on your hero's journey and not just solve out your own problems and, and figure out your own demons and dragons, but to return to the people with the elixir. Why why is that pre-writ? You know, the hero's journey itself is an archetype and it's, it's kind of on our list today. So that's what uh, journey is, a map of archetypes to find lost purpose in a sea of meaninglessness, right? A lot of eyes are going dead these days. I had to teach my kid about dead eyes yesterday. I thought, wow, that's that's a fascinating lesson to give a 14-year-old, right? So. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I do endorse your book. I really enjoyed it myself. And oh, thank you. it was a, a serious pleasure to see things articulated in that way and helpful for me and even like immediately applicable to challenges in my real life. So, you know. I, I can't give much better endorsement than that. I mean, it, it'll apply to your people because the archetype thing is sort of hardwired into our whole structure. And you can hear the first episode we did with Beth about that uh, from a month and a half ago or so. And we go into more depth in this conversation. We're not going to necessarily go through it in a, a specific order. I just kind of grabbed. Basically, we're going to be looking at the different archetypes that Beth uh, pointed out to me for this presentation and I made slides for it and we're going to be trying to also look at it as a mirror for the legal system which I think is kind of an innovative look you don't see this much in the conversations about law so if this is you know this isn't going to be the type of conversation about law that tells you like what to do or how to apply to a certain situation it's going to try to show you your own psychology between yourself and this collective this system and you know the idea of mysteria uh, to flesh that out, it's a word that Michael made up, I guess, for ideas about ideas that are other people's ideas. <laughs> it's kind of like an inception yeah. thing. People get so lost in supernaturalism and things that are not immediately part of their actual direct experience reality. I think that's how all the secret societies operate is through just doling out a little bit more of this contradictory nonsense and confusing stuff to keep you on the hook. Scientology is the perfect example of that, but I think it's actually just based on how the older societies have always operated, but it got a little more out of hand <laughs> or something. I don't know, but it's going to be a fun mm -hmm. conversation for sure. And I think with law, that concept of mysteria of just being a convoluted, convoluted knowledge trap, that can get you just spinning your wheels and stuck in cul-de-sacs before the gold mine over and over again. The uh, Not only is religion and spirituality like that, but I think the legal system is that way too. And I think it's all evidence to not go into a tangent, but evidence that the controllers of these systems of control and programming are themselves Gnostic. And so they kind of build these artificial mm -hmm. virtual worlds to trap souls into because they believe that that's the condition that they're in, I suppose, and that that will make them God above somebody. And it's just this classic master slave dynamic that, you know, if you've got a master above, then you're going to seek to slave people out below you. And if you have people slaved out below you, you're going to look for masters above. It's just like the two can't exist without the other. Right. Yeah, really well said. That's beautiful. And I think there's a light side to that as well. So I personally, I'm, I'm very grateful that you brought the subject up. I wasn't thinking along those lines. I hadn't yet married my work with the law work. We've been deep into this since the, you know, about maybe a few months or three months since the pandemic hit and starting to realize, okay, I'm going to have to look at the law. There, there likely is some remedy here. And I can see people going in that direction. Rose 777 and uh, her crew are total pioneers with this. They, they had the same thing like, okay, let's dig in and see where are they breaking the law? Where, where can we find? And uh, so I'm really riding on, on their coattails and all of their speakers. Hey, Beth. And I I want you yes, to keep go going, but I have a embarrassing yeah. thing to admit. I think my cat may have opened the back door to my house and tried to run out. So I hear my dog barking. He's like the alarm <laughs> uh -huh. system. So you hold it down for about a minute. I'll be right back. Absolutely. No problem whatsoever. Yeah, I, I, I actually have to get off my podcast to go let the cat in or out as well. So we have a cat thing going on. 
And uh, the cats really are the boss. You know, if there's an archon out there, then then it's the cats. <laughs> I don't know why I was actually thinking that very that very thing. That where did all the cats come from? And uh, it's not that I don't like them. I have two of them, but wow, they're they're fascinating. So uh, enough about cats. But I was super grateful that that Chance had brought up this subject because uh, you know there there are archetype. You, to, archetypes to be found in every subject of life. It doesn't matter whether it's your health or your career, finances, uh, relationships, sexuality, you name it, right? That's uh, the hero's journey, of course, is a big subject. I also talk about the primal archetypes that are very tied with life and death. And some of the ones that uh, that we're going to talk about today with regard to the law are there. And uh, this was a thrill to me to, to start applying my you know, because I've been told I have X-ray vision, I don't. I don't brag about that, but I. I kind of know it to be true, and it's in my astrology. and And the archetypes are are a way to see very deeply into something, and it's not just or into someone actually, not something. Something too, yeah, it can be, but mostly it's interacting with life, life energy coming through the archetypes. So um, this is uh, a thrill for me. I, I'm. I'm going to thoroughly enjoy this conversation. Yes, and. Uh the situation was handled and <laughs> you know these are the uh, fun added layers of uh difficulty fun fun hurdles hurdles are the path right the hurdles are the the path with live streaming so that's all taken care of and to the archetype thing you know the one of the most important parts of the legal system is this concept of like personhood i'm going to bring up this slide and I'll see mm -hmm. if I can tie these things together. Before we get into specific archetypes, I want to consider the concept of the artificial person, which is kind of maybe a 101 thing for people that have been interested in the occult side of law for a while, but maybe a new thing for people who don't really look into this type of stuff. And I've had mm -hmm. this uh, author, Clint Richardson, author of this book that I show here, which I think should be on everyone's shelf. It's so long that it would take you probably years to get through it, but it's like, it reminds me of reading the Bible or a scripture because it just, you just take a little bit in a day and it reveals more to you and you see the pattern. But anyway, the artificial person is a concept in law, a non-human entity that is created by law and is legally different, owning, owning its own rights and duties. See body, corporate, natural person, corporation. So the reason I bring this up is because in a way, when archetypes run awry and they become almost like Gnostic archons where people are blaming unconscious forces or numinous spiritual agencies on their problems instead of kind of taking radical responsibility, they put on these different versions of themselves to go into different situations as a protective layer, as a mask, as a shell, as a way to fit in to the collective instead of expressing their true authentic self. And in a way, this is all in service to the self because with these archetypes, when we act on them in the external world, we act through them in the shadow aspect, or we also encounter them as other people in the shadow aspect. So in both cases, the archetype is actually trying to fulfill its duty of bringing you back to selfhood by maybe knocking you across the head metaphorically in some way or another. <laughs> right. And this is a, uh, important to realize, but whenever we are kind of in the pseudo self, one of these many pseudo selves, it to me relates to personhood because you sort of take on a different identity when you're interacting with different people. And that inter that identity gets away with different things that maybe you wouldn't get away with, with other people. And then on the positive aspect, you could also look at the heroic side of any of the archetypes as something as an example for you to actually express your authentic self through in a healthy and balanced way. So it's like, there's like two aspects to this. The we're hopefully going to be able to see that the different archetypes can be an empowering thing when we go into legal situations, or we can play that out their shadow and uh, be, <laughs> you know, a dead person, a dead artificial corporation rather than, the living man with the living spirit of creation flowing through, right? 
Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. And I haven't even totally gone there yet. But yeah, that that artificial straw men that they manufactured at at uh, birth and created this this trust and, and uh, security uh, instrument to um, not not to hoodwink us, but we are hoodwinked because nobody really ever learns about it. They certainly don't teach that to you in kindergarten to say, okay, there's there's you and then you're the agent of this corpse. This, this dead thing, it's not alive, but it's a means for doing commerce. So there's nothing really inherently wrong with it. But not knowing about it, we keep tacitly agreeing to be that corpse. And uh, and it's soul killing, actually. It's not, it's, it's, we're not just throwing around words here. It, it does deaden the soul. You forget who you are. You don't understand what it means to be a living, breathing man or woman uh, to whom all of the laws of commerce that loom over over us apply, right? So we just go through life and and somebody says, uh, what's your name? And then you repeat back to them the corporate entity. And then all of a sudden you're in their jurisdiction and all of their laws apply to you and they can do literally anything to you. They do have power over you once you've you've put them yourself in, in that jurisdiction. And then when you, like you're doing right now, comparing it to the archetypes and this false persona that gets created. Now there's, there's two ways you've, you've already started to say it, but um, that, that an archetype can either be something in your, in your conscious awareness and therefore a tool and an, and, and kind of an ally, although I, I uh, attribute no life to them. You're alive. Archetypes aren't alive. The life is coming through, you know, uh, I always see a lens of the archetype. So it's nothing on its own. But when you're unconscious to it, and it's trying to capture your attention, because our ultimate goal is freedom, and we're all headed there. So, so anything in a shadow, anything in the unconscious is going, is going to try to get your attention so that you can you can uh, become more aware, more alive, more yourself. And so it's in, in the shadow place in that unconscious when, when it's as if the archetypes are using you and you do become quite two-dimensional in the process. Uh, you don't make sense to often even yourself or anyone and you live in this mysteria, if we keep re- repeating Michael's word, uh, where where you're really in a no man's land and and you're being what fe- what would feel to be abused by the archetype if you were aware of it which you which uh, you know you're maybe li- likely not to be uh, but that's how it plays out literally like it's an enemy in your life and then once awakened it's like wind in your sails and it's and a because superpower. of it's self hate is what makes it the uh, really the the shadow aspect it's always just trying to show you your own self-hate or body dysphoria it can be psychological self-hate or it can be like physical body dysmorphia looking in a mirror and seeing something totally distorted from what the reality is of your beautiful god-given form right so i just wanted to point that out that those two things are always in in play when the shadow of the archetype is being animated because you're in all your life force energy is going through the filter of that self-hate and that's why it comes mm-hmm. out in these distorted uh, forms in the mirror that is life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there are a number of programs, but it's actually not that complicated. And once you start to get deep into seeing the programs underneath the archetype energy, then they they actually do distill down. And uh, and, the, and at the core of the self hate or the, the the hate of the other, which is the identical program, is the is that fear of not surviving. Which, which many people, when they're in, a, in a, a pretty high energy, they're courageous, they can take action, they will claim to have none of that fear whatsoever. But really, that is the that is the fuel, that is the thing that keeps the energy tied up and why you continue to have mysterious things in your life that don't work. Yeah, right on. And, you know, I can't remember what the context was, but a few minutes ago, you said hood something. And... <laughs> I just think that's such an important word, personhood, selfhood, victimhood. It's all back to the concept of the mask or the persona. So I have another slide here to just kind of hammer it home because the guy on the right, if he's being required to wear that through some sort of mandate from the city of the state of these are corporations Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that only applies to corporations and corporate persons. And so your corporate person, your registered social security number, birth certificated person is the, I mean, 
I'm, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's literally like a subcorporation of the larger corporation of the city and then the state and the federal government and all the way back to Rome, like nesting Russian dolls. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. person comes from Latin persona. And this is very interesting through or by, per, which is per and sonus, which is sound. A Latin word signifying primarily a mask used by actors on the stage. So sound has something to do with this. And I think that's relevant because the whole legal system is an architecture of either visuals, visualized sound crystallized into to words or the sounds of words and saying the right words. It's all sort of spell play in a, in a way, especially when you enter the courtroom, which, <laughs> yeah, which is all a big game. But this is the uh, this is the personhood right now as it exists in our society is this this mask that people have to wear. And it's a good minute to take a little side tangent and tell people about uh, what the worm thing. We don't have to go into it super deep. Just tell them what you saw and where where they can see it themselves. Yeah, because I've been hearing about the nanoworms for it's it's not even new to recently. People have been looking at this for a long time, but uh, you know that you, you should. I saw the videos pop up of seeing the the little micro worms in the masks, and uh, so I've got a kid in school, and I could get him out of wearing the mask. I could. I've got enough skills now. But he won't stand for it because that'll single him out. And uh, and I just finally thought to myself because I I had too many credible people starting to report them. So I thought, screw it, I'm going to do the the experiment myself, and I'm going to I'm going to show I'm going to prove that this is a psyop is what I was actually going to do because I just thought, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things come down to the truth community as a way to traumatize us because they can't scare us with the boogeyman and the, you know this BS virus and uh, the global global warming and you know all of the, the the fake things they can't scare us with. So I thought, oh, they're just going to come at us. But no, lo and behold, I tested seven masks. Four of them were were surgical masks. Three of them were cloth masks. Two were from the school. Uh, that they hand out every day. And I found worms 100% of the time. Now I know colleagues like Rose was telling me earlier that uh, she she tested a mask and didn't find them. And then Wayne McCroy, who you might be interviewing soon, uh, he tested several masks and found them like crazy. And and they are identical. Now I go look at the videos and it's, it's exactly the same creature. So it's pretty freaky. They're, they're definitely there. <clears throat> and uh, you don't want to put that stuff on your face. Anyway, I don't know if there was something more about that, but the no, no, that's yeah. exactly what I just wanted to let people know. That's a thing, and if they already didn't have a reason not to wear those like blue China masks because of the Teflon sprayed on the inside, which is fluoride based, or the microfibers that get in people's lungs. I mean, here's let's add one more reason to the list. And why is it okay for that to be mandated to corporate persons, even though it does harm? Well, if you get through the legal system, you find out that persons can, you can do anything to persons. They're actually equivalent to monsters. <laughs> like legally, it's the a same word. Monster. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And we're already dead, so you can't kill us more. Yeah, at least that's their, you know, inverted belief. They believe we're. Mm-hmm. I think that's just pure gnosticism that would even let someone look at living men and women as artificial dead creatures but <laughs> this idea of corporations this is like the the mega zombie so i have a slide on the word corporation this is from the 1828 webster's that you just got a physical copy of congrats which is pretty cool almost yeah yeah it's on the way and uh I, stephanie just dropped some really interesting stuff in the chat i'm going to address that in a second but this is the definition of corporation the original body politic or corporate Formed and authorized by law to act as a single person, a society having the capacity of transacting business as an individual. Corporations are aggregate or sole. Corporations aggregate consist of two or more persons united in a society, which is preserved by a succession of members either forever or till the corporation is dissolved by the power that formed it by the death of all its members, by surrender of its charter or franchises, or by forfeiture. Such corporations are the mayor and aldermen of cities, the head and fellows of a college, the dean and chapter of a cathedral church, the stockholders of a bank or insurance company, etc. A corporation's soul consists of one person only and its successors as a king or bishop. 
So there's a couple words in here I want to zoom in on. The first one is, I think, uh, let's zoom in on franchises. Because people need to understand that the word franchise means to incorporate. Like, you know, you have a McDonald's franchise or something. It's under the jurisdiction of the larger McDonald's corporation. That's a really big thing to realize that when we were enfranchised, that literally means that we are sub-corporations of a larger corporation. And people run around all excited about enfranchisement as a societal thing, as a legal status to be allowed to vote. And that's a whole other conversation. But I wanted to zoom in on that because... Yeah, at- no, go ahead. I was just going to quickly say to say somebody is disenfranchised is is to say that that's negative, but but they flipped it right. There's an inver- an inversion there, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And we might even have a little more about that when we get to kind of like the slave archetype later in. But there's two things I want to also consider about corporation. All right, it's uh, a body politic authorized to act as a single person. So whenever you're part of this larger corporation, that means that the corporation itself is authorized to act on your behalf as if they're you and they can do what they want to you. You're just a part of them, right? A corporation soul is an interesting concept too because it's one person only. So in a sense, if we are trapped in our personhood, wearing our mask of persona at all times, it doesn't really matter which archetype has been programmed in us to come out negatively because the um, social engineers understand archetypes well. They're, they're so primal and such a part of us that they pull on those things like, you know, like uh, strings on an instrument, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're, they're literally weaponized against us. Yeah. So you have an army of the dead inside you if you are in this mind control MK Ultra worldview. Literally, there's a bunch of combative. For the, you're at war with yourself, a, a bunch of zombies fighting in your head in a way. And there's a whole body aspect of this too, how it affects your body and your energy field. But what we would want mm-hmm. to be as a, in a sense is a corporation soul, meaning that inside of ourself, all the parts of ourself act as one person in a sense, instead of acting in this chaotic deranged way that is self mutilating uh, we want to look at this definition as a kind of a clue to what the the solution is, which is to become, you know, the become the king of our self, become our own sovereign in a, in a sense, and then that uh, you know undoes the rest of the hex. You know, you know, you don't have mm-hmm. to put anything on your face. Period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So I hate to interrupt, but I have a cat thing now. Can I get, have like just half a half a minute? You gave me one. I'll give you. I'll give <laughs> okay, you several. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a uh, fun stuff, guys. I'll hold it down while Beth is gone. But what I'll do is I'll I'll talk about what Stephanie posted here in the chat. So she said that the CJD Foundation has reported using worms to propagate prion disease. And that is very, very freaky. That's actually right in line with who I just brought up a few slides back, Clint Richardson. He's been on not very long ago talking about the corruption of blood and his documentaries on the beer bug and on, you know, the needles. And he had done so much research on the topic that despite the fact that I'm more optimistic than him, I was still pretty (laughs) freaked by just how deep the rabbit hole goes on this. Anyway, he brought up prion diseases as a pretty likely uh, vector for whatever the thing that goes around and actually harms people really is. Mm -hmm. So I'm not claiming one thing or another, but that's what Stephanie just explained. And also she said the way to the blood brain barrier is using mRNA. So that must, there must be something that gets past that according to her. So that's interesting. I hope people are, you know, it doesn't take much research to know you don't need this thing. (laughs) Hopefully that's all it takes, but actually it's really a great point to be talking about these, uh, censored devices of medical technology because the idea that, uh, Oh my gosh, I literally, this could have been like a paid shill because people are getting paid to post about their experience of getting, their injection or whatever. And that's, you know, it's always been the case that influencers are not naturally, you know, organically arising. They get paid. They are 
a lot of times just part of some larger agenda and they have propped up and that's why they have a larger following than the quality of what they do would suggest. It's really common. Anyway, I saw a post that someone shared with me from Reddit from the R slash R off my chest subreddit. Terrible place. I never go to Reddit personally. I think it's a wretched hive of scum and villainy, but <laughs> this person wrote a whole post, true or not, about how their mother died from getting it and that they were still going to get it. And this will come up again with the virtue or the, uh, the victimhood virtue in the later slide about, you know, the victim archetype. But I just want to, this is what made me, this is what it made me think. And all the comments following are like, we got to just trust the science, even if it hurts some people. Anyway, it made me think this, these are the profound thoughts I had from reading this. If we all sacrifice ourselves for the collective, all are sacrificed. If we all take care of ourselves, all receive care. Oh my God, it's that easy. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's such an abuse of the word sacrifice too, because to me, sacrifice means to make sacred, right? You're, you're not making anything sacred by by uh, killing yourself and killing your grandma and killing your your body's ability to just deal with normal life's toxicity that we don't even know what that is anymore. But anyway, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's off the Appreciate chain. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we'll oh, mosey into like some archetype analysis now because I have slides on this and they're fun. I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So selves. When I was nice. typing that, I was like, self sounds like cells and it does plays into that idea of like a corporation because corp corporation comes from the root word body. So really your corporate, your only corporation that you should be affiliated with is like your body. And then if you want to think of your responsibility under the creator or under nature as, you know, your higher corporate calling, if you will, some authors talk about that, but yeah, the, we're going to get into these different many selves that are in one and this is where the real meat of the stuff is at. I'm glad we're getting to it uh, only about half hour into the start. So we should get through quite a few before the first hour is over and we go straight over to just Rockfin. But let's go ahead and kick it off with the uh, child, an obvious starting place. I've got two slides for the child. <laughs> <laughs> so Aww, poor thing. Yeah, some of the... Aspects of the child that we're going to look at here, victimized by authority. And Beth, I'd let, maybe you'd like to go through some of these for us since you're really the archetype master. And then you can oh, add to you. it. Yeah, so the, the child is one that is, um, you know, as long as everybody experiences themselves to be a child in, in the, we're talking shadow here where, uh, you know, the child has no capacity really to understand and and this is true of the archetype energy too that it's there's a certain uh naiveness in it but there's the innocence and naiveness are truly a gift what isn't a gift is denial and so if you weaponize the child and you scare the hell out of the child what does the child do is is mostly dissociate uh you know hide their head under the covers they don't want to come out they're not going to uh, you know, educate themselves. They're not going to take on responsibility. They're they're going to be stuck in that fear of not surviving because the child is very close to not surviving. You look at an infant, and in a couple of days, they won't make it if they're not cared for. Uh, so it's very easy to scare the crap out of out of uh, somebody that's in that archetype. And the the child is terrified of of betrayal, which is equal to death, and abandonment, which is a kind of betrayal. And so, you know, the, the, the whole legal system is a betrayal, a, a massive betrayal. And it takes a lot of fortitude, personal strength in order to, to really come to the surface and, and face that betrayal that you're afraid of it, but really it's already happened. That's almost always the case. You fear the betrayal that has already happened. And it's just a, a question of looking it in the face. And then, you know, what, and if you don't you accept, out, this is something I learned from your book. I want you to continue, of mm -hmm. course, but this, I feel like that's mm -hmm. important, really important. Mm -hmm. The hero's journey doesn't begin until the betrayal happens. And if all you're doing is 
in denial that the betrayal has happened, you don't begin the journey. So it's actually just a guaranteed part of the growing up process that something somehow, even if the world was butterflies and rainbows, that there'd be something that, you know, moves you away from the pure ignorance and nescience of innocence. Not that you lose innocence as a part of yourself, but you gain beyond innocence. You gain knowing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the innocence turns into a superpower that, uh, that the first thing that comes to mind with the legal system is that, you know, you can't just memorize a bunch of lines and think you're going to do well in all the situations that come up, you actually have to be alive and present in that moment. And there's no other archetype that will be of assist there. Again, you know, forgive me for personifying them and talking like about them like they're alive, they're not but, but, but the child energy is so perfect in any kind of legal discussion, because, uh, number one it's playful it's uh it's it's you know i mean you can the the shadow side would be tantruming and and uh you know getting absolutely nothing done and and getting yourself hauled off to jail or whatever it would be but when you just kind of play with someone and someone will say you have to wear a mask and and this is from tom barnett tom barnett yes curiosity huge tom barnett would say are you sure and he would do it in a really playful way are you sure i have to wear a mask really you're sure about that and, uh, you know, so you can poke a lot of holes in things by being fresh and alive uh, in that moment. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't have a premeditated script. You're just present and you're letting nature take its course. There's there's always going to be uh, natural cues and clues. Like I, I recently decided I was, I think it's three weeks now, I was never going to wear a mask again. And I've been successful. And it's been very playful. You know, a, a security guard walks up to me and says, you need to wear a mask. And I say, thank you very much. And I walk away. And it's kind of funny. Right? Or, you know, this. The I actually say no, speed. thank you. I even just, I yeah. still say thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's a fun, like, oh, you're, you're trying to help me. Thank you very much. Good. Excellent. And I'll get on with my day now. <laughs> you know, and that's not like, don't go copy that. But it, it, it's just a sign of that, the child's play that they can't bring you into the, their drama. Because the drama is really all the death cult. It's, it's based on if, if they can scare you. But if you're not scared, and you're not coming from fear, uh, you, you can operate at a pretty high energy uh, where you know, I think we're we're going to start going off into other other uh, arenas here. But but the the and this is some overlap also with the alchemist archetype, which I I almost didn't include in this, and I realized in the middle of the night, like oh my god, I can't not include that. But hold uh, on, the, shout out Alphonse in the chat. Alphonse Fagliosi. Oh, Alphonse is here. Yeah, he's in here. I told him. I told him earlier. Oh, That's fantastic. the alchemist Tell man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, some serious alchemist energy going on there. I'm so glad you're here, Alphonse. You're, you you rock so so great. I let me take it. A, t- let me take a quick story moment for you, and then we, hopefully <laughs> this will be the last I talk about masks too much. Other than that, it's kind of crucial to the entire concept of personhood. That allegory that we're being shown <laughs> miraculously of the masks out there, but I have not worn them at all. The only exception has been to go to concerts, a few live music events that the bouncers were like burly and angry and I had to wear it to pass through the door. But if I just pretend like I'm holding a drink the whole concert, if they ever look, then it's like somehow magically safe if you're eating or drinking. But I so I put one on just to pass the door to this recent show I went to, kind of sap, um, not sabotaging, but going against my just because I was afraid of the hassle, right? And a friend of mine that I don't think is very deep into any of like the legal stuff and just is interested in medical freedom, just that. This uh, she she schooled me right in front of me. She came in also, and she told the guy, "I don't have to wear this. I have a I have medical privacy. You can't ask me why, and you can't refuse me entry. Do you want to basically want to fight about it? <laughs> like she just." Little, this idea. little young woman in this big burly bouncer and uh, that was it. And then like four people right there just like, yeah, and they just took them off and I couldn't believe it. We we're a little more free here in the Midwest, I think. But I just wanted to point that out because even I, someone that talks about this stuff constantly for the fear of inconvenience, still put it on for five seconds, which is five seconds too much in terms of a symbolic gesture of subservience. So, Yeah. 
Yeah, there's another archetype that I, I don't want to uh, be mean to you, but the prostitute comes into play there, right? Like if I can just get through easy and, uh, and uh, you know, th- again, the, the core of it is always that threat of death. That it seems very just like it's convenient, no big deal, and it's what my son says all the time. It's like it doesn't bother me one bit. It doesn't. It's not hard to breathe and everything. And it's like no, you don't get it. You you are losing life energy to it. Now, having said that, I don't want to make anybody feel bad because I was for months in that place after having been traumatized, attacked severely twice in a row by shopkeepers, by his cashier, and in, in another store by uh, a customer that I actually felt not safe to go into the parking lot. I needed an escort to go out because he was so violent with his words. And uh, so, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but now having got to the other side of this and testing it and, and healing from that trauma and standing in my authority in honor, I'm having a thrill. It's, it's like, I feel like a million dollars when I go in those stores and I'm just like, I'm free and I can breathe and I have no worms on my face and, you know, no, people are just leaving me alone. So lots of magic moments. Yeah, before we move on from the child, I, uh, mm-hmm. Alphonse mentioned that he's got parents that are not getting birth certificates for their property, which is their offspring. Their offspring is off the grid. And I think that's so brilliant because that is the first victimization is your soul of your foot, your soul. Same spelling as corporate corporation soul, by the way, is stamped and put on a piece of paper. Before your soul of your foot ever touches the ground of God's earth, it is stamped and registered to the crown. That is the first and most ultimate victimization by authority that is possible. If you get into some, there's other, you know, if you get into like the, uh, the placenta question and the afterbirth question and what happens with that, that's a whole nother deep subject. I love the uh, crow episodes that go into that, but you also have the uh, the last thing about the shadow aspect of the child is this concept of ignorance, not in a good way, which is where you could have learned, but you didn't bother. You show up at the court and you show yourself to be an imbecile and they consider you a ward of the state or you show you as a parent perhaps are not matured past being basically a child yourself. And so your children are taken by the state and it's like this vicious mm-hmm. cycle of the uh, trauma inflicted by the state causes people to regress into ch- being children. And then the state gets to justify controlling the children because there's no adults to take care of the children properly. It's like, so it's a yeah. vicious cycle yeah, for you, sure. And you can even flip it and say that like, if, if you all of a sudden gave every single person on earth, the, the uh, freedom, they wouldn't know what to do with it. It scares the crap out of them to be self-responsible for your own health, for your, you know, feeding yourself, putting food on the table, for making it through any crises in life. Especially here in Canada, we are in the nanny state. And, uh, it, you know, you can see that they they have to take care of people. It's, it's really stupid. They don't have the skills anymore after a couple of generations, barely, from, from the time of, of my, my ancestors, like intense pioneers, and they, they seriously could just break ground and, you know, land in this crazy climate that we live in and have nothing but their own bodies to protect their children for the first days and weeks. And, uh, you know, that's hardy, serious people. Whereas we're here like, oh, you know, I need a, um, I, I really need to, to work, but actually I just will go on a, you know, UI and, uh, have a holiday or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't want to call anybody down or out, but, but we, we act like children. And so they treat us like children. Now that the only thing is that it's sinister because we were never taught that, okay, you know, it's time to get educated and know how to take care of yourself and act as the agent because, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, one of my mentors said, like, go ahead and get the birth certificate for the kid. Go ahead and get it, but sign everything without prejudice. You're not waiving your rights or agreeing to perform in any contracts. And, and then you show up as the agent of that thing and work and work that account like it's meant to be worked. We just don't know that that's what we're supposed to do. And so yeah, me, it keeps us in that place of ignorance. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm like split between, is it worth learning all this stuff or is it better to just like distance yourself from their whole mysteria? <laughs> but I do think that we're at the current point in our consciousness 
most of us that we're not growing all our own food yet. We still have to pass around debt notes to pay our debts. So until we get further, it might as well behoove us to learn more about the system we're in. And so the last question relating to the child before we move forward is just that for you was the curiosity aspect of the empowered nature child, if you will, helpful to kicking off learning about legal stuff? Because I've heard you say in the past that you kind of at first were dragging yourself into it because you you weren't really excited to learn. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I was so mad. Uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. You know, God bless Rose. She's a she's a pioneer and, and the, the Crow Triple Seven guys. But um, they, uh, you know, I just I looked at it and I appreciated it and I could see I could see the good of it. I heard Alphonse early on and I and I, I could hear the truth. But I'm just like, okay, that's just not my department. I'm not going to go there. I do other things. These are the things I do, right? Like a little kid. This, and then finally, the writing's on the wall, and I got connected with people that had a lot more knowledge than I did, and we were collaborating. And then I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to get mad. And that's exactly on the hero's journey, that that to come up and out from the denial and, and the fear of betrayal and death of the child is to get mad, to pop your head up and go, oh, reality oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed at reality. I'm mad that I have to do this. And it's just the right energy. That's the rebel. I don't know if you want to jump into that archetype now, uh, but that's, that's where you can shit done. So I, I started out with a lot of fuel from that anger and uh, that's, that's poison too. You can't stay in that place. So I, I mean, I've got the tools. I've been teaching them for many, many years. I saved my life this way. I'm giving people uh, guidance like this all the time. So I used it on myself. I released all of my resistance to studying the law. And all of a sudden I was excited like a little, like a, you know, like the nature child, like, ooh, get to play. Now I wake up on Wednesday mornings knowing I've got six or seven hours of law meetings in my evening and I'm already excited. I'm most excited to get out of bed on a Wednesday. So it's a complete flip thanks to, to uh, you know, getting that, that uh, nescience and, and addiction to ignorance out of my eyes. Awesome. Yeah, I was thinking that would be a great question for you because it's inspiring to hear all that. Like, you're doing a lot more than I am lately in terms of researching law stuff, but it's one of those subjects that you have to always be returning to in some capacity. And I intend to keep it up as a field of study while I do what I have to do for my own life. And the next one, the next one, I think we won't go to the rebel yet. I want to go to the okay. next, the hood, <laughs> living in the hood, the victimhood. Cause mm -hmm. I think this is an important one to get into hour one. Mm, yes, please. So this is one more of the, what I call the primal archetypes that, uh, that walk the razor's edge between life and death. So the child is one the victim is, is the, the next one. There's the four to five are here actually. And so this is where you, first of all, you know, you came fake power by being a victim this is the idea of the victim has been weaponized against us where you, you hear the whole new age thing going, oh, don't be a victim. And there is a certain truth to it, but they're talking to those that have been victimized. So I always feel obligated to make a little bit of a disclaimer here that it's not to say that uh, you're trying to talk yourself out of like, if you were injured, if you were harmed, if you were taken down, you were victimized and don't let anybody tell you don't. So just like to open with that. But uh, when, you, when you're in that place of realizing that you can get fake energy from people by being, by playing that role, by wearing the mask of the victim and not engaging in, in whatever healing uh, is required and, and how does healing happen? By taking responsibility. It's the only way healing can happen to get your power back and, and the personal power and authority are completely tied up held hostage in this victim archetype. And so that in, in the lower levels, that there's there's many layers and levels of, of the unconscious. And it's a spiral of, of human experience that can be mapped on on the um, on the emotions really. And it it's it uh, both David Hawkins and Lester Levinson are two authors that co-discovered it. I don't know if one ripped it from the other or it was just like literally around the same time they had the same epiphany. 
but there's a, there's a particular scale of, of the, uh, the emotions. So in the lower scale, which is apathy, grief, and fear, the victim is like the bug on the back going like, oh, hurt me again, because I get a lot of attention that way. Uh, you know, it's a kind of virtue signaling that, oh, I'm so downtrodden and everybody's uh, coming after me and, and you can feel sorry for me and give me all this energy, which really never satisfies. In fact, you have to, con you have to perpetuate your experience as a victim, meaning you have to find ways for people to victimize you in order to remain, uh, you know, at the teat of that fake energy. Now, when you raise up into lust, anger, and pride, the higher side of, of the victim, then it, it is a, uh, where you actually become the perpetrator of the situation. You no longer are willing to be the one getting hurt. So as, as you know, the expression goes, hurt people, hurt people, abused people, abuse people. And that's what happens. So you're very, uh, you know, you're a lot more comfortable in this role as perpetrator than you were in that role of, of being shit on by others. I hope I can swear on your podcast. And, uh, and, but it's a major trap because then, you know, as a perpetrator, that's what, that's what the true psychopaths out there, they want us to turn into perpetrators because then we're no longer innocent. We're no longer in honor, right? And that's, that's, cops love that when you lose your shit, when you get angry at them and you like puff up and try to force them to this and you come head to head and, and uh, stick your chest out, you know, they love that stuff because then, then they've got something to fight against. But if you rise even higher into the courage, acceptance, peace, and freedom, which is beyond, because that's none of that is, is truly freedom. It's all programmed, not wrong. It's just programmed. Then you have a breakthrough and, and you inherit that sense of, of I am, which is going to come up in every single archetype, I bet, because I'm really hooked on it. That's Alphonse's website, by the way. I am has sent me to... By what authority shall I say I am uh, not going to participate with your beast system? It's it's because I am, not because I'm afraid to die and be victimized, not because I'm angry and railing. Um, you know, not, in this case, not against the machine. That's not as much victim, but I'm not uh, I'm not going to exercise my power over other people in order to feel powerful. Right? That's a classic. That the bully is the most insecure one in in the. Uh, on the playgrounds or wherever you are. So, uh, you know, the, the whole Stockholm syndrome where you can actually turn around and, and love your perpetrators. You love them. And that's, I hate to always think of my sister who will never in a million years watch my, watch my shows or anything that I've been on. But, uh, you know, she, she, she bows down to this Canadian government. She feels like anything that was ever to go wrong with her would just be taken care of by the government. And you were never going to say anything wrong about that government because they are your beloved protectors. And, and I think Justin Trudeau is doing a great job, right? Like you hear this kind of stuff and it's like, that's, that's total Stockholm syndrome right there. Um, you know, and, and then people are of course turning to the legal system for safety. They feel unsafe. The first thing they do is call a lawyer, not your mummy as uh, Alphonse taught me on, on my podcast. And uh, so, it, so then the lawyers, the judges, lawmakers are all seen as sources of safety, but really they're the, the most dangerous places you could possibly be. They're going to eat you alive. Uh, so, so yes, that epitome is personal authority and, and you have to stand in it. You have to feel it. The beauty is it's already there. It's not something you're manufacturing. You don't have to add authority. You already have that. It's just to take out the layers of, of uh, experience that aren't a match with it. And then, and then you can actually vibrate with it. You can experience it. Again, it's not there uh, or it's not something you have to put on. That's, that's fake. That will be pseudo. That's more with the chest puffed out and where you, you tend to be more of an attacker. Right? People are out there with their truth and they're victimizing the poor normal people with their truth, beating them over the head with it. And it's not working. It doesn't help them. It, it turns that person you're beating into a victim or a child or, you know, it, it it's, uh, sends them definitely into the shadow. And uh, yes, Alphonse, if uh, you want to be the man, you have to act like the man. And, and you are the man, luckily. And, and yes, you can't act like it unless you feel like it. That's the trick. That's why people aren't doing it. Even they can have all the knowledge, but if they don't feel like the man, they don't feel that authority of the highest God, or I mean, the only God, then then it's almost like it's not there. 
Yeah, I think this is a really important. I'm really glad that we went to victim as the next one because I think it's one of the most important archetypes in this whole law dynamic, especially how you pointed out that they the system loves to turn you into a perpetrator because then you're out of honor. That's just exactly right. And uh, you've got to be a man. Alphonse is the man <laughs> for sure. I want to put this picture up too, though, because I think victimhood has become such a currency in our culture that there's a there's a lot of ways people use it uh, to take advantage. Like that story mm-hmm. I brought up about the Reddit poster saying their mom died, but they're still getting it and they still think people should get it. Like that is uh, turning victimhood into a virtue. Like look at how look at how I'm doing this thing, even though it's so impossibly hard, I'm still doing it for everyone else. So at this point, the Stockholm syndrome that they are trapped in is for the whole collective, not just the medical mafia, not just the legal devils. It's literally the collective itself is what they are. uh, You know, it's this big corporate collective. And I think this picture, why I brought it back up is so important is because we have traumatized people everywhere but because of the stigma on negativity and the stigma on actually feeling how you feel which is like shit because you're you know feeling enslaved or feeling like you have to drag yourself to a job you hate or whatever we all have to put on a smile we all have to be positive i'm not saying there's not a good reason to seek to be positive i'm definitely not but that's the just another level of masking a smiling depressive as michael calls them uh, to serion so I just think that mm-hmm. uh, that's important to realize, too. It's just like the puffing up your chest, even though you feel victimized, putting on a smile is uh, another sort of way of doing that, covering up how you really feel about what's really going on in your real life. So very mm-hmm. interesting take on, on the victim stuff. That was quite elaborate and very Good, very good stuff. You, you could have a course on this. I bet you do. <laughs> I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to do next. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good so that was good. my way of segueing you to talk about you know how people can work with you more because i hate to do it but i gotta have boundaries people we're putting the stream on uh rockfin for the second hour it's already going i'll drop that in the chat but in a little bit after beth tells people how to connect with her we are going to be um cutting the youtube stream and getting deeper into this over on rockfin so also, if you're one of my Patreon subscribers, we're not live streaming to there, but you can get the playback of the full video from there or the uh, the audio RSS podcast. And to everybody that's been on YouTube, we'll we'll tell you guys by proper in a moment. But thanks for being here. And I really love this different format. It's a lot of fun for me. Uh, highly inspired by Beth and her excellent shows that I, uh, before I even let her talk about, I'll just say... I've been tuning into her live streams every time because she always hits them about when I'm trying to go to the park and walk the dog. And so I'm walking barefoot, grounding in the sunshine, listening to Beth rant with righteous indignation or inspire us with beautiful, (laughs) beautiful motivations uh, or tell us about those nasty worms. It's all been really cool. I love the King Heroes Journey podcast, but that's not all you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much for that and for hosting me here. It's been beautiful to be. I, I do highly recommend checking Rockfin out because for one small investment, you get access to all the creators there. In fact, I was just accepted to be uh, in Rockfin thanks to, uh, I think, both Chance and Matt Beller helped me over there. But uh, yeah, so I do coach people. I work with the archetypes to help them to um, you know, find what they are doing here. What is what is your purpose? What is the, your contract with life? How does your contract with life connect you to people? Because that's really all there is. There's nobody has a purpose alone. So you know, who are your people? What is, what what are your tribe? And uh, I'm also a business coach, so I, so I help people to be valued for that purpose. If they don't want to work the job where they have to wear a mask and get a vaccine or whatever it is uh, looming over them right now, I believe we're all headed for entrepreneurialism and finding out what do we have to offer and contribute in the world. 
And uh, so if you visit my website, bethmartins.com, there is a quiz in 10 minutes. You can find out where you are on the path of purpose. There is both the King Heroes Journey Archetypes and the Merpreneurs Journey Archetypes. They are all journey archetypes. They mirror my book. So they're at the identical archetypes. And one is just more for women who are, who are looking at the value of their purpose. The other is for King Heroes, more men. But honestly, there's lots of mix and match. People seem to do whatever whatever uh, inspires them. And in 10 minutes, you find out where you are in the path of purpose. And you get some instant information about what might be holding you back, what shadows you might be suffering with, and what superpower is available there when you rise into the epitome of that energy inside yourself. So um, also, if you don't mind me t saying this Sunday, since we're live right now, I'm hosting the second Primal Power course. That's where I teach about the um, the child the victim, the prostitute, which we didn't cover yet, the saboteur, and the masculine feminine archetypes that are these hardwired, uh, very rooted, they're the most rooted of all the archetypes because they are the ones that we navigate this life and death constant awareness of life and death that everybody's trying to suppress because it's pretty painful when you see you know the razor's edge that we're always walking on and this is the place where you reclaim your personal power right that you can rise you can become the epitome you can step into personal authority you can experience wholeness which is so rare in our in our cut up psyches uh, you know, faith, the thing we don't have when, when we prostitute ourselves and do the thing that's actually out of integrity and out of our morals and values. Uh, the saboteur, how to stop shooting yourself in the foot every time you're going to be successful, because that's a, a, an ongoing disease in the world. And then how to bring the masculine and feminine together. They're not separate, but to, to have the creative power that we need, because when we are creators, we are free. We are as God acting in God's image right? Not trying to overthrow God, but just be in that. Uh, so I definitely invite you, if you'd like to join, you can visit my website, bethmartins.com forward slash primal dash power. And you can sign up right now and be in time for the, the start of it. I've heard good things from people about that for sure. And I know that uh, you know your stuff. Also, someone asked in the chat if we have to pay for Rockfin or it's a free trial. Boom, boom, boom. Not free. Unfortunately, not everything can be free in life. <laughs> we got to value what we do and the things we create. So I highly value the conversation we're about to have with Beth over on the second hour because most of the archetypes are still yet to go and we'll see what we can get through. But we did get we some of the most important there, yeah. ones in the first hour, some really foundational ones. And so on Rockfin, it's a $10 for the channel, but you get everything on Rockfin. Think of it like Netflix, but for independent content creators. So you get everyone else's channels too, including best when she gets her set up and uh, that'll be fantastic. Also want to shout out to my friend, Corinne Wilson, AKA occult priestess. Who's also just got herself on Rockfin. She's in the live chat on the Rockfin stream right now. So the other option to support Interverse is to get a Patreon uh, subscription to me, which is only $5 a month, but you only get me. And you don't get the live streams live as they happen, but you do get the video in full. So <laughs> I'd love to see you guys over there. It's not too, really not too much money. Cancel Netflix or Hulu. Those things are terrible anyway. And uh, man, just like. And Bucks is worth it for this alone, I think. Remember when I called you last night and I was like practically freaking out over South Park because I watched that on like Amazon's, Amazon's video delivery service or whatever. So I don't think that'll happen to you if you go watch some videos on Rockfin. You probably won't freak out at the horrific stuff like I did at the most recent South Park episode, which was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But that's a huge tangent. <laughs> we got to wrap this up at some point for the uh, for the YouTubes. So otherwise, we'll never get through the many archetypes that are yet to come. So we're going to cut the stream here for YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Really awesome to have you all here. Cody, Snake Jones, uh, Alphonse, Stephanie, Veritas in Canada. Yeah, Snake Jones is always around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fred, I couldn't even get through the South Park all the way. It was the most ridiculous propaganda I've ever seen in my life. It was like they built it up in my mind as when I was a teenager as being a kind of unbiased, irreverent, and funny show. And then by the time that this big agenda is rolling out, it's full lockstep propaganda, not even funny. It was actually quite sickening, the things that they showed that 
I don't understand how they don't get canceled for showing children being mutilated and tortured and their blood drank by Oprah and whatnot. But it's okay if South Park does it, especially if they're blaming it all on white people who support QAnon, making up crazy conspiracies. (laughs) Real or not, what they were talking about, it is ridiculous to put that on television and call that comedy. But that being said, we are wrapping up here on YouTube. Thanks, everybody. My South Park rant, I got it out of me. I needed to get that out. <laughs> I was so upset last night. I felt bad for you. Yeah, you were traumatized. Yeah, it's horrible. Okay, peace out, YouTube yeah. people. See you guys on Rockfin. Bye for now.